0: And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another that you may be healed. James chapter 5, verse 15 and 16. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Luby. Luke, do you want to stay for the sermon or go in with mommy? Stay for the sermon? Okay, just check it. Okay. We are sick. And God wants us to be made well. And I mean this at every level. We get sick, of course, from illnesses, contagious and hereditary, and God wants us to be made well. Our souls are sick with sins. Um, So often we speak about sin using sort of the, the thought world and the metaphors of, um, of, le- of legality, of sort of offenses against the law and the judge. And the Bible speaks about them that way, certainly. Uh, so that's a right way to speak about them. But it's also the case that sin has a disease-like quality, which the Bible also speaks um, about. And I, we do well to remember that we are sick with our sins. And of course, just as a matter of fact, we are, each of us, decaying day after day, Right, We're having to replenish nutrients with the food that we eat but always one step closer to our own deaths every day. And it is the case that God wants to make us well. And he's appointed specific means for being made well. Um, Most profoundly, first and foremost, the sacraments. Baptism, the, the sacrament of new birth, holy communion, the sacrament of participation in his eternal life, which is the great antidote to death. He also gave us His Word, which transforms us by the renewing. See, that's the opposite of decay. By the renewing of our minds. These are the three cardinal means of grace. Baptism, Eucharist, and the Word. But the Lord, um, in His great love for us, He really desires that we be made well. He's appointed other means, besides the great three, um, (coughs) to make us well. Like a good physician, He has multiple tools to deploy. And um, I want to speak about two of them this morning, um, they might be called sacramentals. Uh, two other means of being made well, and they're outlined here in James chapter 5. Uh, anointing with oil, to which is annexed the prayers of the faithful, um, and the confession of sin. That's what we heard read about in James chapter 5. Uh, I want to unpack the biblical and traditional teaching of these two um, with the hope that you wouldn't just know more about them today, but that you would avail yourselves of them more frequently, for the wellness of your own soul. That's my hope today. So I hope I can convince you. So here's part of the main thesis, um, and I will qualify it, so don't run in the wrong direction with it. Um, All illness has evil at its root cause. That is, until Adam sinned in the garden, there there was no disease on earth. We, We weren't plagued by illness and decay. It was sin, evil, that was the sort of the at-root cause of the bringing of sickness into the world. Before Adam's sin, there was no death and the ancients called sickness the handmaid of death. The vast majority of sickness is simply the result of living in a sin-ridden world. We were thrown into this broken mess. Sometimes we can aggravate sort of um, illnesses that we did nothing to uh, inherit we can aggravate it by our own sins. Like if I have um, a faulty pancreas and my besetting temptation is gluttony, I can make it worse through my own sins, surely. What's true for sickness of the body is also true for sickness of the mind. The fall of Adam m- may have left me with gray matter that is faulty, that the hard wiring is not working well. Right, Part of the fall of Adam, it's a sort of um, It's actually bad theology to think that our brains aren't also suffering the effects of the fall as well as our bodies. Through no fault of our own, and it may render me with depression or anxiety, or in the case of our recently departed brother Mark Manning's hallucinations. And through willful choices of my own mind, I can make a sickness that is not my fault worse, right, by by not honoring God with my mind, by dwelling on sinful thoughts by turning, by fixating on what is evil that the Lord says to be innocent about, I can compound these things even as they're inherited in the first place. So that's the thesis, all sickness has evil as its root cause. If that's true, then the the root of all remedy, if evil is the root of all sickness, the root of all remedy is God himself and his goodness. Very often this comes to us through the skill of a physician, of a doctor who God has given the knowledge of medicine to, not just each individual doctor, but the fact that medical knowledge exists, that the Lord has shone illumination on this aspect of creation is from him. Combined with the healing properties that he wrought into all the elements and compounds of the world, which pharmacists uh, research and, and package and sell to us at very high prices, um, the root healing power of those things, the pharmacist didn't invent the healing property, Right, they uncovered and through the gifts that God wrought into his creation, it's the skill of the pharmacist and the doctor to kind of tease those out and make them useful to us. But ultimately when you trace back, well why does that work, or well, why does that work, or well, why does that work, it goes back to God. All healing at its root cause has God. All the medical knowledge in the world and all the best pharmaceuticals would be of no avail if God himself were not working through them. In fact, I'm not a doctor, obviously. Um, but what I've heard from many doctors is that there's this sort of surprise X factor. Why under almost identical conditions does this procedure work for this person and not for that? And maybe there's some unknown component, some uncharted territory of medical knowledge, maybe. But I think as Christian, we have to say that being made well is not just a physical exercise because the root of the problem isn't just physical. That God himself is involved in, in being made well. I found out that in the Middle Ages, before taking any medicine, People would pray, I think it was Psalm 58, say, Lord, make this medicine effective. Now, if you had middle-aged medicine, you really needed that, especially. <laughs> um, but even with modern medicine, to pray, Lord, make this effective in my body. We need God to make us well. I'm saying all this because I think there's a tendency when we hear something like James chapter 5, when you're sick, call the elder to think, yeah, before modern medicine. It's like, no, this was true in 2000 BC. It was true when James spoke it in the first century. It's still true. In the 21st century AD. Verse 14, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. You might say, well, where are the elders that I can call? The Greek word for elder is presbyter. And that word, as you know, words kind of change as they go through the centuries, became prester, became pressed, became priest. I'm an elder. James 5 is actually encouraging you that when you're sick, call me. Please call me. I, I really mean it. When you're sick, please call me. It says, let him call. Uh, how can I visit you if you don't let me know? Now, thankfully, um, the gossip note works well enough. I u- usually get a call for when someone's really sick, but uh, please call me. I, I really want to honor the charge of James 5 to come and pray for you when you are sick. Um, I have oil, anointing oil, consecrated by the bishop for the purpose of anointing. And actually, what I wanna show you, um, flip in your, would you grab your prayer book, the red prayer book? Flip to page 225. 225. 225, you should see the title, Ministry to the Sick. Look at that second paragraph after the rubric, N, which means name, So for better or worse, I say it's art. Art, I anoint you with oil, and I lay my hands upon you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. So the prayer book is nothing more or less than just the unpacking of the biblical command in James 5, right? There it is, we Anglicans, honor James 5. Anoint with oil, lay hands on the sick. Um, If you call me when you're sick, this is the rite that I'll use to anoint you with oil that's been blessed by the bishop. Verse 15, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. I think it's really important to pay close attention to the specifics of this promise. Um, It doesn't say that if you're prayed over, you will instantly be made well. It actually doesn't say healed, it says saved, which is sort of the big category of which healing is a subset. You will be saved, that's the promise. This idea that, well, if we just pray in the right way, then you are guaranteed to be instantly healed. That's the mistake that sometimes our Pentecostal brothers and sisters are inclined to make. Right? Overstating the case of the promise of Scripture. Again, saying more than actually the Scripture says. The Bible says that if we do this we'll be saved. Um, I've anointed a good number of you with oil in just three years here. Um, Some of you have been healed fairly swiftly. Thanks be to God. Some of you have anointed with oil and we're still waiting for the healing. Right? It's not magic. The sacraments aren't magic. They're just appointed means that God has ordered us to use for the ministry of His own salvation. And healing is sometimes a part of that. So I said that sal- salvation is the larger category. With sickness, what that looks like is sometimes it looks like healing. If you don't believe that God can heal you the same way Jesus did in His earthly ministry instantly, um, you're not believing rightly. He can. I've actually seen it happen instant miraculous healing. I've only seen instant once. But I've seen swift on a number of occasions. And the other thing is we never know or very rarely do we know, God's operations behind the scenes. Sometimes we pray over someone, they get better in three or four days, and we think, ah, they were going to get better anyways. Says who? (laughs) We don't know that, right? That's the vantage point of God to have hindsight. It could have been much worse. We don't know what operative power God had in any case. Sometimes he brings healing. What I also want to offer is sometimes the salvation that he brings in the midst of sickness means the redeeming of the sickness for our soul's well-being. This is a painful blessing when the Lord um, chooses it to be this way, but it is some other way He operates. Allowing the sickness to continue, but not in the same way, not just as a cause of despair, but as a cause of, as one of the means He's using to redeem us, to humble our souls, to be more like the soul of His Son, Jesus, to be made inwardly well. and in. It can sometimes mean, and I think this is especially the case when we, you know, the Bible um, says that it's God's blessing to get 70 or 80 years. So I pray every one of us gets that. Um, On the far side of 80, when disease becomes incurable and agonizing, um, sometimes the salvation that God can bring is release from this body of death. That's why anointing with oil is part of what are traditionally known as the last rites. I've heard the testimony of many priests say that after anointing with oil, when, someone, when they know that there was no hope, when the person's soul was ready to die, that they've anointed with oil, and they've died—actually, so, I've heard many priests say that day um, as part of God's working out of His saving plan for each of us. One thing's for sure, um, calling for prayer and anointing when you're sick will be useful to your salvation, and it may sometimes bring concrete physical healing. God uses oil and prayer to make us well. In the deepest sense, not just physically sound, but spiritually whole. And I think I'm greatly encouraged that there are times in the New Testament when people prayed for things that they didn't get to see, right? Paul, we think, he, he, we, it seems like his prayers for his eyes were not answered because he says in Galatia that he had trouble with his eyes and that the Galatians would have given them their own eyes if they could, and then in his later letters he says, see with what large letters I write, implying that his vision is not good, right? Um, so, and that he, he prayed that the thorn in his side would be removed, whatever, that's a metaphor for some kind of suffering. And the Lord said, nope, you're going you're gonna to keep that one because I need it. He's going to use it um, to make Paul, to keep Paul humble uh, and weak in the midst of his powerful and ministry that could be tempted to puff him up. So Paul sees prayers sometimes not answered the way he wanted them to see. There's an account in Acts where he says, um, we had to leave our brother behind because he got so sick and we prayed for him and he didn't get better, so we just had to leave him behind being taken care of. Like, we, just because Jesus operated with great power to show us his power, doesn't mean that instant healing is expected in every case. I'm greatly encouraged it wasn't for St. Paul. Um, and I wanna add on to the practice of anointing, the power of continued intercessory prayer. Um, one of the things I love in reading some of the early church fathers is um, how patient they were. They weren't sort of the instant microwave society um, you know, when I first learned about sort of demons being cast out, it sounded like this sort of high pressure, Pentecostal intense thing. And sometimes it is that way, I guess. But in the Church Fathers, there's a St. Hilarion where someone gets brought to him who, who has a demon. He prays for healing and nothing happens. So he goes into his cell, his little, you know, one room apartment where he lived and prayed. And he just prays and fasts for two weeks. And every three days he comes out and says, are they healed yet? Nope. Okay, I'll keep praying. And then two weeks later, that person was delivered. I love that patience, intercessory prayer, continuing to say we've anointed with oil, we're waiting for healing, and we're going to keep praying. That's why we keep a sick list, that we're always praying. I'm sure these names are as familiar um, as an old hat at this point, right? We're always praying for Brenda and for Carol and for Bill and, you know, all these people who have needs, and we are continuing to pray for them. Intercession. James says that we should continue praying, and he says the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. Um, when you know a righteous person, ask them to pray for you all the time. I do, I know a couple of righteous people and I call them like, I really need your prayers. It says it right there in James 18, 5.18. Um, and what I want to say is it's not the case that we're nagging a reluctant God. One of the things we forget with all prayers is it's not us who prays. Romans says very clearly that it's the Spirit of God in us that prays. So the very fact that you're inspired to pray is God working through you, So just praying for the sick is proof of God's desire that the sick be healed. Do you see that? He's on both sides of the equation. It's not him up there and us down here being like, Lord, why would you heal? He's down here with us, his Holy Spirit, inspiring those prayers for healing. When you pray for someone, that's God himself revealing that he wants them to be made well. He wants them to be saved. That's the first sacramental that James points out, anointing the sick. The second is confession. Verse 16, confess your sins to one another. It's a verse that I'm sure you all know have memorized. How many of us do it, right? Because it's embarrassing. It's painful just to think about some of my past sins in my, in my own head, let alone confess them to someone else. It's painful. But what I want to offer is it's a good kind of pain, the pain of a surgeon's knife in the Civil War days before they had anesthetic. <laughs> Sorry, war between the states.
1: Um, There you go, there you go. (laughs)
0: Um, The Bible's really clear, When, when Jesus comes again to judge the earth, it says in Revelation, the books will be opened and every thought and every word and every deed will be read aloud publicly in the presence of Jesus himself, the congregation of all the angels and all the saints. So you think it would be embarrassing now to confess sins Part of why Judgment Day is always offered with this sort of tone of trembling is because you would, we would all rightly tremble in that instance. What hides in the dark, in the buried files of memory, things we don't even want to recall, let alone co- to confess, will be trotted out into the light. Jesus says what's done in secret will be yelled from the rooftops. One of the means that the Lord's given us to have comfort against that day, to prevent it from being as embarrassing and terrifying as it might be, is to confess our sins now. To bring them out into the light now so that they see the light of day and the light of God, not hiding in the dark. Now the Bible doesn't say you have to confess to a priest, which means you don't have to confess to a priest. That's where our Roman Catholic brothers, they err in this one. They say, oh, it has to be to a priest. The Bible just says confess to one another. Um, What I wanna offer you though is that It's very healthful, good for your health, to confess to a priest. You can confess to others. Make sure you're honoring the commandment by at least telling somebody. Um, But it's useful to confess to a priest, so that's why the Anglican church practices that. Let me ask you, if you had an embarrassing medical problem, which would be better for you? Just to find someone else who has the same problem and kind of swap notes, or to go to a doctor who might address it in some concrete way? A doctor. And I think in as much as sin is like sickness, uh, it's useful to go to a priest Not only because they're under oath to never reveal it until they die on pain of instant defrocking, instantly become no longer a priest, Um, but but hopefully a priest is fairly well informed about the ins and outs of the moral life, about why this is caused and where that might be going and what to do about it. Um, But especially because Christ himself gave to his ministers the power to declare the forgiveness of sins. It's in John chapter 20, 23. He says to his apostles, whosoever sins you forgive, they're forgiven. Right. we call that, that that ministerial authority absolution Christ gave this sacramental medicine of absolution to his church to bless his people it's one of his appointed means of us being made well so i'm um, flipping again in your prayer book i want to show you something else look at page 223 one page before the anointing for oil 223 <coughs> See how it says um, the rites of healing? And the first one there is reconciliation of penitence. That's the long title for confession and absolution. And there's the right for confession. And then see on the next page, there's ministry to the sick with the anointing with oil. And then 227, there's communion of the sick. That the prayer book puts forward in liturgical form what James 5 tells us, that in some mysterious way, confession of sin, anointing with oil, communion, these things are all used for our healing, both spiritual and physical. It's customary in our church to make a confession um, at least once a year before Easter, often twice a year before Easter and Christmas. So um, I'm gonna make confession on Wednesday to a priest. Like, I, like I don't, I'm not just telling you to, a medicine that I myself don't take. It's painful medicine, but it's good medicine. You don't realize how ugly our sins are until you have to say them out loud to another human being. And it's like, oh, yeah, I did that like 20 times in the last three months, like, oh. It's horrible to admit. But the reason we do it is to hear the sweet words. The reason I do it is to hear the sweet words of absolution on the top of 224. Our Lord Jesus Christ, who's given power to his church to absolve all sinners, that's referencing John twenty twenty three, 23, who truly repent and believe in him of his great mercy, forgive you all your offenses. And by his authority committed to me, I absolve you from all your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. What comes to mind is the two dozen times a priest has told me these words, and it's been like having a heavy yoke just cut off my back. There's such healing, powerful words to say. And what we understand is how does this work? We know God's the only one who forgives. We know Jesus is the judge. He gave this strange authority to the apostles. How does this all fit together? The church has understood that when a minister who's following God's word um, pronounces these words, It's preemptive of Judgment Day, that Jesus himself is ministering through the priest to declare his forgiveness, that then on Judgment Day he'll ratify. I think, I kind of think of it like this, when the books are opened and all the sins are named, that the angel that's reading it will say, he's confessed that one and Christ has already told him it's forgiven. Oh, he's confessed that one and Christ has already told him it's forgiven. Now, his mercy is abundant beyond the ministry of confession, absolutely. He forgives sins we don't even know about, absolutely. But to receive absolution for the ones we know about, it's very healing, it's been very healing in my life. And I will say, it stemmed the tide of patterns of sin, that by confessing them, sometimes the same one multiple times, but then getting counsel from the priest, it's enabled the Lord to actually choke off that sin from my life. It's a wonderful gift Christ has given to his church, together with anointing oil, sacramentals to heal the sickness that's in each of our souls and our bodies to make us well, body and soul, so that we can um, be gripped more profoundly by the salvation that God himself offers us. Thanks be to God uh, for these great gifts that he's given his church. I I encourage you not to neglect them. They're in the Bible for a reason that we wouldn't forget. Um, To read James chapter five, and I I pray that you take advantage of them, if not this Advent, at some point. Um, The Lord has promised health through them. And if you're embarrassed to come to me, let me know. I'll find you another priest who you can go to. That's fine, honestly. Um, you, I can tell you the priest that I make my confession to. And You can go visit him. Thanks be to God. Amen.